2: world. It's Andy Richter. Uh, This is the three questions with Andy Richter. I say my name again because I like to hear it. I'm here today with a name I like to say, Ken Jennings who is, uh, we're, we're sort of friends, don't
3: you think, by now? I like to say we're friends because you're more famous than me. I don't know if you say it.
2: I like to say we're friends because I like you. Oh. And because we have actually spent some FaceTime together.
3: We went to dinner in Portland.
2: We did, we did, at uh, the restaurant Pok
3: We got into Pok Pok because the owner's name sounds similar to yours, and, and, we, and
2: therefore you know him. And we are friends now. We are friends. We, he invited me to his wedding in Thailand, which I boy i wish i could have gone to his wedding in thailand but you know
3: this makes me jealous cuz i don't know for example ken jung uh huh i don't know <laughs> kat dennings <laughs> how well, do you, you just how do you get on the be friends with people whose names are phonetically similar to yours uh, well for those who don't know that
2: the, the, there's a guy named andy ricker he's an amazing chef he had a has a very popular thai restaurant in portland long standing restaurant called Pok, Pok. it's amazing incredibly Uh, authentic Thai food. And he's also written some absolutely beautiful cookbooks, if anybody cares about that kind of thing, because I I do. But yeah, his name is Andy Ricker, R-I-C-K-E-R. And people started addressing him with questions about the Conan show or comments about his failing career in show business, <laughs> do and you, do
3: you get questions about fish sauce, chicken wings, and, and people were
2: saying things to me about my restaurant, it's like fantastic, giving me, Andy. giving me notes about who knew my that restaurant. you had it in you. So we then started talking, and then we met, and you know, and now you know he just was in town actually because he has a new noodle cookbook, and and I went and hung out with him and met him. Well, we got a
3: very good table
2: yeah. next to you, and he lives in Thailand for the most part now. We're, we should get off this. Nobody gives a shit about this except for
3: this will all get cut. Andy
2: Ricker. Yeah, the, the thing
3: I wanted to say, maybe you'll be too modest to say it, is that you and I are both elite Jeopardy champions, we and are. that's why we hang out. Yes,
2: that is that's another reason we we're, we're part of the uh, arranged date service
3: that Jeopardy <laughs> that does Alex Trebek people. personally provides. Yeah, that's right. He drives the limo. <laughs> what a nice guy! He's incredible for him to do that.
2: Um, well, it's yeah. Except I'm sort of like. Uh, dumb, dumb Jeopardy. I'm Celebrity Jeopardy.
3: But you dominated Celebrity Jeopardy to such a level that it's very clear that you would also be a good uh, civilian Jeopardy. Player. I think I
2: would be okay. No, I, w- no, I think I would be okay.
3: Look I look at those numbers, Andy. I'm gonna, <laughs> can we bring up the clip? Like every, I love looking at that still. And, I, and most people are looking at Wolf Blitzer when they look at that still. And yeah. I'm looking at your face because that is Jeopardy excellence right there.
2: I thank you. Um, that was. That one, that was the second time I was on. I was on, it was about 10 years prior. And actually the 10 years prior, and they must have doubled the money by now. Because yeah. it's the, I, at that time too, I think I was, people, it was erroneously reported in Wikipedia that I was the top celebrity Jeopardy champion. But I was actually third behind the English guy from The Nanny, Charles O'Shaughnessy, is that Oh, his name? yeah. Jerry Orbach, which I, I'm happily... Behind Jerry Orbach, and I don't mean that in a sexual way, <laughs> um, and then me, but with very few dollars se- separating the three of us. But that was like I don't know, that was like twenty or thirty grand. Whereas like th- this time I think I won sixty something, just because they
3: yeah they increased. doubled. The-
2: but the first time it was mu- like I did I took no joy in Wolf Blitzer's poor
3: performance
2: i felt terrible
3: you're a him. man with a heart yes you feel for your fellow human yes. being
2: and i you know wolf didn't have an earpiece in so he was at a disadvantage
3: <laughs> did you think he asked uh, hey so usually yeah, yeah. when i do tv
2: usually when i say things someone's in my ear telling me what to say <laughs> please i hope he doesn't listen to this because i have to see him every, once a year or so
3: what would the, uh, well, what, are the that, man. what are the odds that wolf blitzer is like oh look Andy Richter's
2: podcast. <laughs> Andy Richter's podcast.
3: Yeah, you have an and I don't. <laughs> he,
2: I, he reminds me of one of my greatest humiliations.
3: It is. It is. Jeopardy. I mean, Jeopardy is very hard. Nobody who hasn't done it understands what a pressure cooker. is. Oh, absolutely. And you go their in their home. You go
2: in scared shitless, thinking yeah. like I could look like a real idiot here. And uh,
3: honestly, that's harder in Celebrity Jeopardy. Like a you know, oh, just oh. some just some Midwestern librarian getting on Jeopardy. Yeah. You know, they don't care that much about. What is reported about their game? Yes. Whereas I, I, really admire the people on Celebrity Jeopardy who have something to lose. Yes, uh, I, I think so too. And they just want to play the game more than they're worried about their
2: career. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, what I was getting to is the first time around, I played against Esa Patha Merkerson, who was
3: absolutely delightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play a lot of all, Law and Order uh, actors. You didn't? Oh, do did you never play Jerry Orbach?
2: No, no, I just, I just, I was, he just was, uh, yeah, he was a very good uh, contestant. And then Brian Dennehy and Brian Dennehy, it was delicious to crush Brian Dennehy (laughs) because Brian Dennehy was such a dick to me, like going into the whole thing. He was like, you know, just like, just fucking, you know, senior in high school, picking on a freshman kind of energy from the very beginning. Wow. So it was a lot of fun to really... Like just crush him. Crush him.
3: Isn't Brian Dennehy still with us? Like he's still alive. Yeah, yeah, he's no. Still alive. I, I, and you and you're 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 fine saying Oh, I'm was, absolutely
2: fine that saying that. He was that very mean to you. Because he was a dick. <laughs> I if somebody's a dick, I'm gonna say they're a dick. And he was a dick. And he was and he like he did things like because I I was actually taping a remote for the Conan show, I I did I did it as a remote, like you know, on backstage during the game. Like, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it. at a certain point, I had to say to the writer that was with me, "I'm no longer taping a remote. I'm now on Jeopardy, so don't expect me to be funny on camera here now." Um, but there was you know, like there's this sort of pre-game sort of walk through, and he was a dick about that, and talking about how his education and stuff, and. And I had mentioned that I had been practicing on, like, PlayStation or something. I don't even remember what the game systems were back then. Practicing Jeopardy. Yeah, practicing Jeopardy, which is not, I mean, that's not, it's not the same. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a button, but it's not the same button. So at at one of the commercial breaks, as I was already winning, um, S- as, as she liked to be called. I, no kidding. I had no idea. She she said her friends call her S. I learned something new um, today. S S and I were talking, and, and I said, "Yeah." I said, "The button is pretty tricky. You know, you don't really know until you're there." And I was like, "The button is pretty tricky." And then he goes, "Well, you don't seem to be having any fucking problems with it." <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, mean, like, I like how he turns into some mean Irish gangster from, uh, from a movie. Well,
2: and he was, he was like, he goes like, uh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, he goes, like, but then you got an, he like implied, like I had an advantage because I had practiced on with a video your, game. With your video game. On a video game system. And then at the <laughs> end, after I won handily. Um, you, I, I don't know if you know Brian, if, you could, if, if you're you listening, go back and see it. But he crosses over, shakes my hand, gives it one of those tough guy intimidating Miller's Crossing yeah, kind like of a- cru- squeezes <laughs> on my hand. And he goes, Congratulations, you son of a bitch. Wow. Exactly like that.
3: Uh, Weirdly, I played Brian Dennehy's daughter on regular Jeopardy.
2: (laughs) Wait, you mean in the role Ken Jennings as Brian Dennehy's daughter?
3: Uh, I was an understudy, but like, you know, the show must go on. (laughs) Right, right, right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Get this wig on. She tried out for Jeopardy. You're going to go out there uh, just a Jeopardy champion. You're coming
1: back a star, Ken.
3: No, she was uh, just, she had tried out for regular Jeopardy and she was pretty good. And she has an actress sister, uh, and I mistook her for her, but it's not. It's, it's the non-actress Dennehy. Well, you're
2: not going to tell me now you're close, personal friends with the Dennehy family.
3: And her dad was so delightful. No. Oh, <laughs> son <laughs> no. of a bitch. He was not there. I was just going to say that I also defeated a Dennehy on Jeopardy for you, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> take that. And I'll keep doing it. Yeah. Like if they keep putting up Dennehy's on Jeopardy, I yeah. will go back and just take them out one right. by one for you. Bring
2: it on, Irish. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, well, that's uh, that, that's a good preamble of our self involvement with uh, <laughs> our own Jeopardy uh, accomplishments. But I, I'm uh, the, the show is called Three Questions. Did anybody clue you in as to what those three questions are? Someone
3: sent me the questions. Yes. which Jeopardy does not do. No, no, not even for Wolf. Yes, there? that's right.
2: <laughs> so that's right. Yeah. So uh, where do you come from? I mean, uh, you're you live in Seattle now. Are you from the Northwest originally?
3: I do. I come from Seattle. I come from the seventies. My dad was a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So when I was a little kid, he was still in law school because my parents were 60s kids and had their kids super young. I think my mom was like just about to turn 20 when she got married or something. Yeah. So my parents were and are youngish. And, uh, you know, so I remember my dad being in law school and I felt like we were poor, you know, because it was – and we were. It was a $10 a week grocery budget, but it was not – it was, it was not poor, poor. It was yeah, like yeah, law yeah. student poor. Right, like now exactly. I see that there's a difference and I can't feel like I'm down just because we had a $10 grocery budget when I was right. five. Um, but when he graduated, we moved back to Seattle. And it's, some, it's
2: something too that they planted that in your head. Like that they just, like that you, I don't know what the grocery budget at
3: our house was, but. It is, it that's family lore for sure. Isn't it funny how families have that? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The secret origin stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah, Much yeah. Much of
3: it perhaps true.
2: Right. I know, exactly. <laughs> I bet some weeks they spent
1: 12.
3: The, the, the story I remember is my great grandma would send a little extra money every week so they could have, so they could buy a bunch of bananas because she was worried that I was not getting my potassium. Oh my
1: God. That
2: is like, so, that's, that's really down to the penny. To know? this day,
3: I have very thrifty parents uh-huh. whose, whose depression era parents probably. Instill that into them. Right, you know, that right. that stuff echoes, you know.
2: And you're probably a potassium hoarder now. <laughs> That's right. Now, now that you can afford it,
3: come into my prepping basement yeah. where you can see my my yeah. uh, my you, winter wheat and my potassium. You, you
2: bathe in coconut water <laughs> just because you can. Um, uh, so anyway, so yeah, so uh, public school,
3: public schools, but we uh, and I remember like. On this, you know, as speaking of family lore, it's it's all what uh, actually works out that does not get forgotten. I was a huge game show nerd uh-huh. as a kid. And uh, like on my first day of kindergarten, I remember just bawling because I realized that I, I'd been looking forward to school all summer, but it had not hit my five-year-old brain that... I was going to miss Hollywood Squares and Match Game and yeah, The Feud yeah, yeah. and Pyramid, you know? And yeah, so yeah, yeah. so I was just very sad that my new life meant no more game shows. Right. And that's uh, not entirely true, but... Were your folks into
2: game shows or was it just something that you kind of picked up yourself?
3: I think I kind of came out of the faucet this way. My parents are both smart. Yeah. Like, I, re- like I think they were both the smartest people their friends knew. And when they uh, hooked up, like when they became a couple, I think all their f- one of their friends told them like... You know, you are going to raise genetic super children. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, so I'm not a eugenics experiment, but <laughs> but their friends thought, thought I, I thought, might.
2: Yeah, be, yeah, yeah. You know. That they were put together by some IQ dating service, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> which
3: maybe did not exist. Yeah, in, yeah. in 1972, but I was always kind of the nerdy kid carrying around the Guinness Book of World Records and yeah. bugging mom and dad with you know smart sounding factoids. Yeah, I, yeah. I, most people I meet like me were born like that. Yes. And I don't know what that means.
2: I don't know either. I mean, I, yeah, because I kind of, like, I was definitely Guinness Book of World Records. Mm-hmm. I really did.
3: That's a touchdown for that kind of kid. Yes,
2: absolutely. I mean, pouring over it and remembering, having, still have vivid picture memories of, you know, various pages of it, you know, and, and. Uh,
3: I remember trying to check the uh, check the At world atlas out of the library when I was a kid instead, yeah. instead of you know picture books or whatever I should have been reading. Right, right, and the right. librarian had to explain to me, this is the reference section. You can't take the, right, right. the maps home. Yeah, and it's and as, I was so mad. It's as mad. big as
2: you are too, probably. <laughs> it,
3: it's really, yeah. It's yeah, immersive yeah. for a kid. And for a kid that does not have any kind of power or mastery in their life, yeah. I think that's what facts provide yeah. to a certain kind of kid. You feel like you have a, gr- a handle on the world. Absolutely. And you know something about polar bears that mom and dad didn't know yeah. or whatever.
2: And did B, you know, you know, the the sort of cliche is that nerds get bullied. Were you victim of any of that? or
3: Not that much. I mean, I realized that I didn't like to stand out. To this day, I have a very deep-seated, like, still kind of seven-year-old Ken, like, dislike of standing out mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, being noticed. Yeah. But I, I kind of pivoted to being, like, the funny kid, like, because yeah. if you're the smart kid, and I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know, like... The smart kid might get bullied, but the, the funny kid can pivot. You know, the class yeah. clown yeah, yeah. has a place to go and can turn that back on the person or, you know, honestly, worst case, find someone else that they can joke about, yeah, you know, just yeah. deflect. Right, right. Um, so you have an arsenal yeah. And when you're the funny kid. And I think a lot of that did come from just being kind of aware that I was a, a little too smart, and that's off-putting. yes, yes. Yes. No, you're, you you're, can, you're agreeing with that a bit much, I'm, just I like am, you are today, I am, Ken. I,
2: I am. No, no. I mean, I I agree because that dynamic is a very common one. And I mean, and and well, when you're funny, you figure out quickly the things that that can get you. Um, like you can, you know, like from the very early age, I real my first experience with putting together being funny gets me something I want was staying up later. If I if I like. <laughs> You know, reenacted Carol Burnett sketches for my grandmother. I didn't have to go to bed, as her. You know, when she wanted me to go to bed.
3: That's fantastic.
2: Yeah. So, I. Uh, you know, and then I. I was never. I'd never had to worry that much about bullying because I've always been large. But bullies are tactical.
3: They they pick. They pick the object that no one will object. Oh, to. absolutely,
2: absolutely. I was reading yeah.
3: research on this. Oh, um, really. Yeah, like bullies are not just like how about him? Like the bullies are, are not don't want to risk anything. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so they'll pick the target that does not affect their social status. Yeah, at all.
2: yeah. And it is like there really is like so much bullying is ba- is fear based. Just you know, it's right. It's, like bullies are in you know it's a cliche and it's you know cliches are true. So then uh, in high school extracurriculars,
3: what were you doing? We moved overseas weirdly when I was like seven. Oh, really? How, How come? come my dad had served? Yeah, I, it does seem like we're fleeing something, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, right, I, right, I right, can't right, talk right. about this to this day.
2: Uh, Atlas theft. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get out of here.
3: That library guy Ken stole
2: another th- thesaurus. Uh,
3: my dad had served a Mormon mission in South Korea during the late 60s. Uh huh loved it loved the language loved the culture like kind of one of these guys who you know does the colonel kurtz thing and feels you know, does a study abroad and is like let me tell you about moldova you know yeah yeah and uh, so he really wanted to go back and he got a chance to move back there for a couple of years and two years turned into like over a decade so i grew up in seoul just coming back to seattle in the oh, summers wow. um and do you speak korean my korean's kind of lousy like i you know i can order food and give directions to a cab driver um just survival kind of stuff. Yeah. But like when it came time to choose a language to do in school, I was like, not Korean. I'm in Korea. Like, right, right. what could be more banal, you know? <laughs> so I, I took Spanish and my Spanish to this day is pretty good, which, yeah. which I learned in South well, Korea. Which is certainly...
2: As if not more useful here than, you know. I mean, in Los Angeles, Korean would be very handy, but.
3: In LA, you can order tacos in either language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's true. Spanish has, has worked out more. But I do feel bad when I tell, especially a Korean. Yeah, I lived in your beautiful country for 11 years, maybe longer than you. And they're like, ah, <laughs> And I'm like, mm, the, You know, I, I, don't, I don't speak, sorry. Yeah,
2: yeah. Can we switch back? It would come in handy, too, in LA for municipal
1: golf. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've spent a lot of time with. With uh, old Korean men, wordlessly, basically, ex- you know, hours and just with good shot, you know, that <laughs> that being sort of the only phrase exchanged.
3: Does it ever end with you guys in the, all in the sauna in the Korean spa? No, no, but uh, I do. But I do. There is a we
2: spa here. Yeah. I know, have you ever been? It's, I
3: have. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, my friends used to go there. We used to go there as kids. To oh, the, really? To the, like to me, we we called it a spa. We didn't even say Korean spa. Yeah, yeah. We were in Korea.
2: Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. No, there's a big one here that. Uh, you go to and uh, pretty crazy, and also it's sort of like you know, like the amazing thing is like when you're to go to go there. The most striking thing to me is like I don't see lots of naked men around, you know. So it's always sort of just this, this is my one like outlet. for, for that little I'm part of you surrounded me. by thirty naked men. <laughs> I didn't know penises came in so many
3: varieties. They do have different nudity taboos. Yeah, than they yeah. do. It turns out.
2: Oh my God! Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's very little compunction about. <laughs> squatting and scrubbing and whatever you know whatever else is going on and
3: uh, that was a very interesting thing about moving there so young is you really do see like this place is authentically different like yeah. uh, like all this stuff about how it's a small world and we're all the same i mean honestly cultures are pretty different but this one is older than ours and seems to be doing just fine yeah like the weddings are different like like men sometimes hold hands in korea without any kind of uh, sexual connotation you know yeah. the, the, the obvious customs are all right in front of you yeah and you you, you know you learn how to navigate them but Everybody's doing great. Like, it's not just like the one thing I saw in my hometown was the way to go. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty important lesson for a kid that age in yeah. hindsight. I kind of wish we had been able to raise our kids out of the country often. I mean, we don't, we don't, but we try to travel at least.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so so your dad practiced law then in Korea? He did
3: for over, and American and Western companies were moving in and he was the guy working on the joint ventures for McDonald's and Lego. And you know, Oh, wow. Because in the early 80s, Korea just looked like it did at the end of the war. It, yeah. You know, yeah. It, was, it was not yet a developing kind of tiger nation. And by the time we left, there was a pizza hut on every corner. We, we did it, America. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to your dad. Uh, thanks to my dad, Koreans are now taller and kind of getting obese, I think. <laughs> I'm getting obese. <laughs> but to no, go, that, That's Dad. totally true. You can look at the numbers of when, like, American fast food moves into a country, and you can see height increasing because people are getting more protein. Yeah. And then you can see weight start to go up because our diet is not awesome. No,
2: no, it's not. Well, you're welcome, world.
3: <laughs> I, uh, my friends and I were all obsessed with Jeopardy because it was on – all we had was, like, the Army TV station. Yeah, yeah. We had one – TV channel and it was... Did you uh, have a lot
2: of Korean friends or were most of your friends expat kind of kids? Most
3: of my friends were Korean Americans whose Uh whose dads had moved back. Well, you know, they were born in the States. They were U.S. citizens because you had to be, you had to have some kind of foreign passport to go to my like international school. Uh But it was almost entirely, there were some missionary kids, some embassy kids, some expat kids, but it was almost entirely um, Korean kids whose parents had had them in the U.S. and then moved back for work. Um, so they were kind of like of no culture, and that kind of eventually happened to me. I didn't really feel like I was a very good American either after being there for over a decade.
2: Yeah, I was going to say what? I mean, what do you think? Sort of the main thing of the main formative influence living eleven years is, is you said eleven in Korea? eleven years. Yeah, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, w- one of them was was Jeopardy. Just Army TV putting Jeopardy on after school every day. So yeah. me and all my friends were obsessed with Jeopardy from nineteen eighty four on. Which yeah, is, yeah. Kind of a weird thing, and, and turned out to be pivotal for me.
2: And that was um, when tr- that was when it because it, yeah. it came back with Alex Trebek in
3: '84. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in fourth grade, and we were just fixated on it. We would talk about it on the playground. Yeah, because um, there was nothing else to watch.
2: I was just I was struck the other day that because I saw a picture of uh, they had you know and there was a picture of Alex Trebek, and it said start you know before the first show in 1984, and I just was like. I'm 52 years old. That's the year I graduated high school, and that's how long he's been doing it. Like, when you put things into those kind was, of perspectives. I was 10 years old. That's crazy.
3: And at the time, he was just – he was, you know, the card sharks guy or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean, He kind of grew into this, uh, yeah, this authority. Just s- the smooth Canadian, just, you know. Just by doing it every night. Right, he, right. He's amazing. And uh,
2: I guess – And what's the other – I mean, do you think there's any sort of, like – like, do you t- – does it give you a different perspective, like – having lived somewhere compared to, you know, what a lot of Americans.
3: Yeah. I I think, you know, the thing I said about just kind of having a larger perspective Mm -hmm. and, you know, the American way does not have to be necessarily the only way. Um, and maybe also just kind of the alienation of like eventually moving back to America for college and not feeling like I was of there anymore. Yeah. Like I was, I, I didn't fit in in Korea. I didn't quite fit in there. And, um, you know, people from like, uh, you know, adopted kids or people from biracial backgrounds. They talk about this all the time. Yeah. But it was it was very interesting to just come up against it in college and realize I didn't quite know how to navigate people. I didn't know how to drive. Like, I don't yeah. have a checking account. You know, uh, just I don't know how to do... I didn't have a normal 7-Eleven parking lot kind of adolescence. Right, right. Um, so that's, that's kind of stuck with me, too, the, the sense that, you know, I don't really have a place where I'm totally Native anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. Did... Uh being raised Mormon in the LDS Church, I mean, did that in Korea? Was that was there a, a Mormon community yeah. there? Yeah. yeah, there
3: was a congregation. Uh, weirdly, a lot of intelligence guys. The oh, really? CIA loves Mormons so much. Wow. Why? 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 They are um, they're hierarchical. They're used to just taking you know doing what they've been asked yeah, to do. Yeah. Because uh, it's a it's a very structured church, they are intensely patriotic. You know, Mormons, especially sure. in my era, were political conservatives, and they are impossible to blackmail. Because we don't drink, we don't cheat oh, on our wow. wives. Like you know, a Mormon spy is never gonna.
2: We don't. I mean, some Mormons <laughs> drink and cheat on you. I mean, look. I know you. I know it's your faith, but listen, it's not. <laughs> they're human. I know.
3: Um, I know the stories too that yeah, come yeah, out yeah. later. Um, but as a culture,
2: yeah, yeah, and you and you're not, still that's not what we put on the brochure. You're still a practi- You're still a practicing LDS church member. Yes, and because um, that's it's a fascinating church to me. It's just uh, like the you know Joseph Smith story. Uh, that Fawn Brody book.
3: The 19th century origins are very strange. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we prefer to have a religion that had this all the strange things happen in, you know, 20 BC, you know. you know. Or, yes, exactly. No, no,
2: it's every bit as, I mean. So to
3: imagine, you know, supernatural, to imagine like God's hand, you know, in you know early uh, america is an odd exactly, shit Exactly exactly and i and i kind of like the strangeness of it honestly it's been it's been very good for me i something i've learned about myself i think later in life is that um, i don't have the same all the same impulses for just being a great person that i see around me like i want to be a good person but it takes some effort to overcome like awful ken who is kind of yeah. lazy and
2: Self absorbed. And you think that your faith informs that?
3: I think it really, really changed me. Yeah. You know, in that, like, there's like a better way to live. Like, let's, let's, let's see what, uh, let's, let's go to the other camera and see what Jesus would be thinking of what you're doing right now. You right, know, like, right. That kind of thing was very helpful for me. Not, not in a guilt or shame way, but just like, don't you admire people like that? Why aren't you like that?
2: Yeah. Was there a point at which just sort of, Growing up in a faith and just having it be around you and just kind of, you know, you'd, you'd take what you're given when you're a kid and then really assuming ownership of it, really having, like, rather than it just being sort of a habit that you're immersed in yeah. to being an act of choice that you make.
3: It's a tricky corner to turn. And I think religion, all religions, and probably my religion in particular, lose a lot of people at that corner. Yeah. Because a lot of people had just grew up with the church out of a failure of imagination. This mm-hmm. is the only way to live, obviously. And as soon as they hit an age where they're like, wait, no. Like right. Most people go to Starbucks. What are you doing, you Mormon kid, you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're like, oh, wait, there are other options. yeah. And I feel like I was very lucky in that I was raised, no, there are options. Like, you should – and part of it was being overseas, I think, and just seeing all the other all the other options. It's, yeah. a big, it's a big world, and if this is good for you, you should be here. And so I never had that sense of disillusionment and rage that I think a lot of people do when they're like, wait a second. My parents raised me in a very small religious terrarium, and yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and with a lot
2: of judgment, too. I mean, the, there's – uh, you know,
3: on both sides. Yeah. Uh, oh, but, but oh yeah. of course, of but, course. But I mean, but, but people do but, feel lied to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And with, but I mean, also too within the Mormon faith, as with any faith, you know, there, you know, the treatment of of African American, you know, members in the church and that kind of thing. Sure. You I mean, know, yes, that can be very disillusioning. Our record on think.
3: race, our record on LGBT issues, yeah, yeah. like it is far from exemplary. Yes. And you but know. like I say. Southern Baptists or, you know, I mean, it's, that's there's
2: a lot of, there's a lot of, Catholics, there's a lot of faiths with a lot of problematic, you know, aspects.
3: I feel like it's changing, but I do have, I do have a kind of, I don't know what you would call it, sacred envy for like people whose religions like let them be like lead on those issues, like, you know, Quakers or whatever. Right, like, right. Good for exactly. you, Quakers. Yeah. Like, that would have been nice to not have to explain to my friends again how like, Mormons are less racist than we appear on paper. I swear, I swear. You know, yeah,
2: yeah. Love that, that conversation. A, not all Mormons. <laughs> exactly. Hashtag, Hashtag not tag. all Mormons. <laughs> yeah, because I, you know, that's I. I I'm, I'm I'm always kind of fascinated with people that just have like a. I mean, not in a Woody Allen way. Like I wish that I had faith because I'm not. I mean, I'm I'm agnostic. Mm-hmm. I don't like I somebody. I was at a baby shower, and somebody was talking about being an atheist.
3: And I was like, I don't care enough to be an atheist. I'm agnostic, (laughs) you know. Um, That started to be my reaction to any internet uh, interaction. I'm always like, what are you guys arguing about? It doesn't have to be about religion. It could be about a DC Comics movie. And I'm still like, just stop. Please, like, join me in not caring that much.
2: I frequently hear around the Conan show, and I say here because we're we're, uh, taping this at the studio, um, there will be a discussion about a particular a bit, you know, like an, an aspect of a bit. they changing the ending. I'll say I think it should go this way, and someone will say no, but I think this. And after they'll go back and forth about three times, and then I, and I very frequently go, you know what? I, I don't care anymore. What? I just stop. What do I have to do to I not said, be yeah, in this yeah. conversation? We, we we talked about it. We talked about it for about forty five seconds, and you know what? Honestly, I don't care. Do whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, that would be my religion. Yeah, yeah. Just fineism.
3: Yes, exactly. <laughs> please, please leave me alone about enough this. is enoughism. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, but no, I, I, uh, I, I grew up in the United Church of Christ, which mm-hmm. is actually kind of a nice one of those churches that sort of is you know very liberal
3: and as and, you're uh, one of the good ones Andy.
2: yes <laughs> thank you thank you um, but I never I was never encumbered by actual faith I just liked <laughs> you know I liked going to church I like we had a great minister and I like la- I was even like a uh, a deacon and uh, I was the youth member on the uh, search committee when they replaced uh, our minister how old were you uh, I was 15, 16, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but they had, in the meeting, like I say, I was a deacon, too. When In the meeting, they realized at the end, after they picked the search committee, they said, oh, you know what? We should have a youth member. And somebody was like, like it fucking mattered. <laughs> they're like, well, yes, but according to the, you know, rules of parliamentary procedure, we've already closed the membership. And they're like, well, we can pick an ex officio Ooh. Youth member, meaning like that you would be advisory, but you wouldn't be able to vote. and that was me and all these adults, you know that, and I mean, it was a long process, and I read resumes to hire a new minister, and they were like an incredibly disillusioning moment was there was a minister that was fantastic, and you get to you get transcripts of their sermons and you you know and and he was absolutely great. And uh, one of my favorite people, adults on the thing, in this meeting, because I was totally gung ho on this guy, uh, and his last name uh, was White. And this guy said, "Well, uh, I found out that uh, Mrs. White is black, and I think that I don't think that our congregation's ready for that." Wow! And I was, and I that that was it. I, I mean, I continued the process, and they hired some boring old fart. And but I was done. I stopped, you know, because it was like. But like I say, it wasn't. I didn't have to go to another church. <laughs> I just, I like. I like that church. I like being in the in the community of it. But I. Uh, but I just, I've, I've always just kind of felt like it's all too unknowable to really.
3: Yeah, I'm definitely the same way. I'm I'm skeptical of certainty in all its forms about those kind of questions. Yeah, and you know, church. Some churches are not that into skepticism of certainty. Sure, sure. But I do kind of feel like that's kind of how religion is going to have to be in our time. It's going to just have to be a way of navigating your doubts and your faith as they kind of fight within you and giving you a place, a community to do it in. And uh, like I had a lot of benefits from growing up that way. Like I was, I enjoyed the community of it. I was lucky enough not to be a woman or a black kid or, yeah. or a closeted gay kid who, you know, who would have had maybe a rougher time yeah. in a, in a closed minded religious community. And so it was, it was great for me and it kept me from getting in a lot of trouble probably. Yeah. Um and, you know, my kids ha- are the same way. They love it. But, you know, in an increasingly secular world, I feel like they're going to get the benefit of that kind of an upbringing. Yeah. But what are the odds they're going to be like, yeah, this is for me.
2: Yeah, Like yeah. this
3: this odd, very specific set of ways to live your life. Yeah. Is
2: like, your wife Is your wife Mormon? She is. And was she, uh, she always is, you know, she didn't convert. She was.
3: Yeah, she's a yeah, yeah. lifelong member. Also grew up overseas. We're kind of weirdly symmetrical. Oh, really? But, yeah. Where'd she grow up? Uh, Germany and then Hong Kong her dad was uh, was military but not a a spy like I was so sure (laughs) it's like right right Right, Mormon guy claiming to be commerce department wink wink (laughs) but he's been retired a long time and has not uh, dropped cover so if he was a spy he was probably spying for the other guys he's a spy
2: He's got you to say spy. this. It's, it's way sexier. Okay. That's yeah, why. Yeah. Like he, it's important to have a sexy father in law. That's, <laughs> right? that's something I've always <laughs> yeah. swore by.
3: You're, you keep saying that. Like I
2: know. It's, d- it's written on my t shirt. You <laughs> can't see it, but that's what. You
3: it. always just lay a hand on my shoulder and say, Ken, it's so important so, to have a
1: sexy father in law. I <laughs> whisper it. <laughs> Life is a highway.
2: Can't you tell my loves are growing? So uh, college, you came back here for college or you stayed there or?
3: Yeah, I went to uh, University of Washington. Uh, I wanted to move back. I kind of felt like my childhood in beautiful Seattle had been robbed from me in a way. So yeah. I moved back to Seattle. But then I served a Mormon mission myself in Madrid, Spain. and Rough. And uh, yeah, they're not, it, tur- oh, it no. turns out that is not a, a peninsula full of people just dying to see the light.
2: No, I know. But, I'm, but, but still, it's like it's you know Oh, but it's a cool place to live. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's and what my I wife mean. served in Paris. Oh my god. So all
3: these poor kids going to Guatemala yeah, or, or yeah, yeah. Ukra- Ukraine or whatever. Yeah, and I, and we're like,
2: like Yeah, or the middle of Africa, you know. Yeah, yeah
3: and I'm going to the Prado or uh, Yeah. But yeah, it was Oh no,
2: tapas. <laughs> <laughs> really having a hard time saving souls, but tapas.
3: Barcelona would have been nicer, but I guess Madrid's fine.
2: <laughs> that's great. And how long, is that that's a year? 2 years. 2 years, yeah. 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 That's
3: a long two years. <laughs> is it? <laughs> well, it really is like this is your full time gig. You yeah. Know? Like there's a day a week when you can, you know, write home and play ball and j- do your errands. And, but really it's like you get up, you uh, just try to talk to people all day and see if anybody wants to hear the good word. Yeah. And yeah. if they don't, that's a long day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It is. And, um, and I imagine you too. You don't have any money to do anything. Probably. Yeah,
3: exactly. You're, you're you know you you pay your own way, and everybody's on kind of the very same very tight budget to kind yeah. of you know make it a non a classless situation as much as possible. How are
2: you? How are you supervised? I mean, just that it's kind of a fascinating. It know, really is the mission, the Mormon mission. Like, how are you supervised? Like how like how do they know you're not fucking off? You know <laughs> what I mean? Basically,
3: sometimes you're in a little town, and they don't. I really uh, I think I want to write a book about like what the my mission was like. And yeah. I, I also want to track down the people I was with and see who still identifies as religious. I think it would be an interesting way to to kind of watch a generation yeah, become yeah. more secular is to we're, see who, and, which of those people is still church going.
2: did you feel that even in, within that, there were some of the people that were kind of turning secular?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, it's, it's not the environment for it, but I think you could tell who was just, who was there because... They had that fire in their, you know, fire inside. Yeah. And who was there because in their tiny Utah town, there would have been a lot of shame and guilt if, they'd if weren't they weren't there. Hadn't done and who was there just because this is what all the kids do and just kind of the failure of imagination thing. There were yeah. definitely all three kinds. Yeah. And then maybe. You know, maybe even more like just kind of confused kids like me trying to figure it out. Yeah. And so you're right. How do you supervise that? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I
3: mean, there's a there's a full time guy who you know he and his wife and maybe kids move over there and their job is to keep an eye on a couple hundred missionaries. My dad did that a couple years ago in Korea. He was the guy. He was the guy supervising a city full of missionaries.
2: Wow. And, for how long?
3: Uh, they go for three years, I think. Oh, wow. He lo- he loved it. You know, you just leave your life and and go do that. Yeah, yeah. And he loved it. But can you imagine trying to keep eighteen? Oh no! Hormonal kids. No from, uh, Yeah, yeah. For just raising ruckus in Madrid, or absolutely whatever. Yeah, yeah. But on the you know, it's it's as you can imagine, a pretty regimented life. Sure. And it's a you know, and I'm thinking of all the dumb things I could have done between 19 and 21. Honestly, yeah, I probably dodged a lot of bullets. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then you, so you come back from mission and you, do you have your degree at that point? Or uh, you, no, you start, I, I you, had
3: gone for a year. You
2: go to mission and then you yeah. come back for And college. I
3: actually transferred, I transferred to BYU just because a lot of my friends were there then. And it seemed like a lot easier, you right. know, after two years in that environment, I was like, oh yeah, like we'll all hang out after.
2: Same culture, yeah. yeah. And
3: it's, and it's a fine, honestly, like it's, a, it's a fine place to get your undergrad degree. Yeah. It's, there's not a... Not a lot of ways to ruin your life in Provo, Utah, it's, and
2: it's pretty. It's a beautiful place. Oh my gosh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's
3: amazing! mountains are right there, um, and so I, uh, you know, I was I was an English major, and I thought maybe I would teach or write.
2: And you went to B-I- BYU first, and then to Washington, or no?
3: I, I I transferred from UW to BYU. I see. When I got back from my mission, I see. And so I ended up graduating from BYU, and uh, I was going to go to grad school to maybe get a higher, you get a PhD in English or something. But instead my wife and I got engaged like the summer I was graduating Yeah, and I needed to pay the bill. So I went to work for my friend's um, internet startup Uh because it was 2000. Yeah. Yeah. It was all about to crash, but we didn't know. Um, So I ended up in computers, even though that was not really my dream. And it was not, it turned out I was not even all that good at it actually, (laughs) (laughs) but it was, you know, this, this seems like this will pay the rent. Yeah. Yeah. So I was not all that happy, uh, in the those first few years, realizing that I was, you know, is this my life? I'm a computer guy. Like mm-hmm. all these guys love it, and I don't. And so I was always bugging my wife with, you know, what's the plan? I, I guess what she remembers is me always saying, "I should go to law school, honey." Like, like twice a week. Wow, what if I just, what if I quit and went to law school? And instead, I just happened to try out for Jeopardy on a whim, mm-hmm. and that turned out to be the the thing that saved my early midlife crisis.
2: Right, right, right. They got you out of computers. Uh, it wasn't and how, was a, how old were you when you went on Jeopardy?
3: Twenty nine. Yeah, which is good. It turns it's a young person's game. I yeah. think. Like yeah. I, people ask, you know, I'm in my I'm 45 now, and people are like, Ken, you're gonna go uh, play that James guy on Jeopardy, right? And I'm like, with this broke ass oh. brain, really, like <laughs> that guy's 30, and <coughs> like I can't summon 2004 Ken. To yeah, play yeah. that guy, You know.
2: Yeah. No, he was amazing. I, you know, I. Uh, I caught it towards the end of his thing. But I mean, you know, I mean, he did do that sort of run across the bottom of the board and find those daily doubles quick, but also he fucking knew his stuff, you know?
3: Yeah, people are acting like that's the secret sauce. Like, you yeah, yeah. realize the guy gets like 40 questions a game and doesn't get one wrong. Exactly. You know, like, he's he's pretty good no matter what strategy he plays. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. No, he just figured out a way to maximize the money, you yeah. know? And, and
3: that uh, also puts p- the other players away before the first commercial break, you know? Yeah, if yeah. If you run that bottom row, you start it from the bottom, Drake style, and yeah, then yeah. you find the daily double and double up. Yeah. Like, the time the first commercial hits, you're up 10000 Bucks. Right, right. That's kind of dispiriting. It's had
2: other? I, I mean, I, I don't watch as regular uh, as regular as I used to. Is that something that other people had done, or was he kind of like a, a, a pioneer of fucking everyone else over? A lot of the money. <laughs> That's what
3: a, what a nice T-shirt, yeah. He, uh, there have been Moneyball guys who, like, search for daily doubles for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because that's non-random. You can try to find the daily doubles. Yeah. Starting from the bottom is a little more uncommon. Like, yeah. you don't see that much. And the combination of the two, start at the bottom so that you can double up on the first daily double. Right. That's all him. And that's just him being a sports better and being right. like, let's, right. let's get all the chips on the table when I, when I I can when I've got my shot. And also,
2: it's a baller move to start at the bottom and say, like, I don't need to warm up my brain. I'm going to go right to the hardest shit. A lot of it's know? shock
3: and awe. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got these two new players. Like, if you, the longer you're on the show, the more advantage you have. And yeah. every day they bring in fresh meat, you know, two, tw- yeah. two new people. And they are just trying to figure it out. And by the time they can blink, it feels like it's
1: over. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, it's always uh, the buzzer, the button, is really something. Because, I, like, afterwards, I, I, <laughs> I did say, like, you, it is an athletic competition, but just with the thumb, you know, (laughs) and, or the finger, whatever, whatever you choose to do, because the way it works, I I don't know. I'm just saying this for people that don't know is that, you, there is a screen that you that that, that the contestants see. Well, I'll let you explain it how the how it works, how the the, yeah, you, the countdown lights. And, you you and, were getting it right. And, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. The, well, but I, oh, well, you know, it's not. I'm supposed to be interviewing you. <laughs> People are sick of my voice. No, there's a screen, and you see the question, and you, and as Alex is reading it alongside that, there is a series of lights that count down, very much like the the lights in a drag race. You know how they, you know, there's yes. that beep, tree, beep, yeah, beep, and, then and then it goes down, and when that bottom light goes out, the buzzer is open, and if you hit the button before that. You're locked out for half a second, something like. that
3: When I was doing it, the lights would come on when he got, is that what it when was. When he got done reading, okay, and then they count down as your time expires.
2: Oh, right? is that what it was? Okay, yeah. then I, I'm 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 misremembering it.
3: But that's exactly right. You can't yeah, buzz yeah. while he's reading. Yes, you got it. When he's done, some random guy somewhere flips a switch, and then your button's live. Yeah, yeah. And if you buzz in early, yeah, you're locked out for a, I don't know what it is, but it's a fraction of a second. Yeah,
2: it's a fraction, but it's, it's enough, enough to it's make enough. It yeah, it's
3: enough that you'll get beaten by the person who did not yes. jump the
2: gun. See, because I remembered it being a countdown because there's a thing called ADR which is automatic dialogue oh, replacement yeah. which is when you go into the studio and it's when it's when the audio's bad on 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 something and you go in and you repeat your line or if there's you know a line change and they can't see your mouth move but usually you're trying to match your own mouth movement and the way that that system works is that you hear pre-roll of it and it rolls into it and you probably know i'm just explaining for people but and there and in your headset while you're listening the way that you know it's your time to talk is it goes beep 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 and then at the third you say and you speak on the fourth beep so it's like beep 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 go and that was a very similar kind of like i and i always had a facility for that even when i first started having to do that
3: do
1: ADR
2: yeah doing that getting used to that rhythm and I think that that was very helpful it was a very similar thing because I could sort of watch and then get ready right when the right when the buzzer was was supposed. often to they'll tell
3: people just to to wait till they see the lights and buzz and, yeah. I, and I would always be trying to anticipate the lights like, yeah yeah like here's when Trubex done and go and, yeah. I, and I think it's you're a tiny bit faster than but you really are just going off his voice, and but if you spent decades listening to that voice, and you feel like you're yeah. inside the rhythms of it, right, right, then you can kind of be one with Trebek, and you know, kind of just get there right as he's finishing the question. Yeah, and the timing is—it's all timing. Yeah.
2: yeah. Now, you, you, your run was how many games? Seventy-five games. Seventy-five games, and how many days were you actually there?
3: It's it's a full week and a day. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, show up, win five games. Well, I'd fly down to L.A., win ten games. And then fly back to Salt Lake and go to work, and I couldn't tell anybody where I'd been. Yeah, because it's all—it's not going to air for months. Right. So my boss is covering for me at work, and my wife's covering for me with, with friends and family. Um, so each of those was a ten-day chunk. So coming down here, maybe eight times to uh, just to play Jeopardy, right. and
2: and, s- and you were and it didn't air until you were done, correct?
3: It overlapped. I, oh, it I did had, overlap. I had won forty-eight. Yeah, only time it's ever happened. I had won, I had taped forty-eight games, on the show start to air. And I think Jeopardy's so nervous. What if people hate this guy? Did we just destroy the show by by getting rid of the five day game limit?
2: Oh right, right.
3: This was the first time this had happened. Yeah, yeah. And it turned out to be good for them, but they didn't know that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so at that point, well, you got to. I mean, you got to understand. I mean, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> is that good or bad? No, that's bad. I'm no. I, I'm trying to insult you.
3: Uh, <laughs> I th- well, I think that is that's actually such
2: a, that would that's such a shitty position to be in, though. To be like kicking ass and having them be nervous about about you well like, no, they were careful you, to insulate me from that i yeah, mean yeah. nobody was
3: like boy if people hate your ass right like, right right like, this franchise right. is screwed right jennings yeah yeah like how I, about a nose
2: job ken <laughs> just a quick one
3: <laughs> but i really was thinking they have to be thinking that and at some point they're going to be like that's enough for you yeah but i think contractually they really couldn't like yeah i, I had to play till i lost and once the show started to air, of course, people would show up to play Jeopardy, and I would still be there. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, no, not
2: this guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. What was it like to have won 48 games, to be sitting on like, holy shit, I'm, you know, when you get to 30, aren't you like like, bursting with just crazy excitement and
3: egomania? The The experience of playing the game is so weird and surreal. Yeah. You know, and then having to do that as a secret identity from my day job. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I was not even thinking about the money and I didn't think there would be actually any life-changing... You know, any career change or any fame, you know, nobody in my life had, I never in my life had anybody known who was winning on Jeopardy, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I did not, ex- I expected to be recognized at Costco a few times. Right. And that was it. Yeah. Um, but, it, but I was, you know, it, it was like, I've got, I, it's like buying somebody a fun Christmas present. Yeah, and, yeah. And you just can't wait till they open it. And how do you explain to your job? my boss would just uh lie you know she would uh she would be like oh yeah ken's kid is sick
2: oh so she did know that you were going to jeopardy yeah, I, and you were kicking ass yeah, yeah. yes
3: and, and so every day i would call her you know from you know the leaving the sony lot in culver city and be like glenda i uh are you quitting are you calling to quit did and i was like no but i won again so i have to play to, i have to do five games again I'm tomorrow so i'm so sorry i'm gonna miss the meeting i gotta play it again tomorrow oh. and uh she was sure i was gonna quit but i i'd Like I never quit until I got the the deal to write the first book. I never quit the job because you always read about lottery winners effing up their lives. Absolutely. And I didn't want to do anything rash. And
2: how much at the end of your run and the book deal, how much time was that in between those two
3: things? I think the shows had already, you know, so I lose three months later, that show finally airs. Yeah. And I think sometime in that gap, um, you know, I was I was hearing from agents and stuff, and I, and I was like, no, no, I don't want some quickie book with recipes that somebody else ghost writes. You know, like I would love to to write a book about sure what it was like and what if it's about American quiz culture and how you get like this and uh, and I finally and I finally got that deal at, at Random House, and uh, it was I think it was around the time the last show aired. Okay, and I finally realized I could not write a book and keep programming yeah yeah time
2: so you didn't and so it wasn't like a long time it wasn't like you
3: it was i think a few months you became america's sweetheart and then you had
2: to go (laughs) slave at that grind for another year that is
3: what happened Yeah, and i would and it it was funny you you fly back in from la you've just won you just passed your first game show million or whatever and you've got to go to the morning staff meeting yeah yeah yeah. like you care Uh, (laughs) why am
2: i here um and uh When you lost, what happened?
3: Uh, You know, it's Russian roulette every night on Jeopardy. You know, like you're going to lose once and you don't know what night somebody else is going to find the daily doubles. That's what happened to this James guy. The same woman found both both daily doubles. And he played played a really good game, but you can't do anything against that. Or you're not going to know final or you're just going to be off on the buzzer somehow. Uh, For me, it was finding both daily doubles and double Jeopardy, but also not knowing them. (laughs)
1: Oh so, boy!
3: Got them both wrong. Had had the narrowest of leads going into final, and then didn't know final. So. Oh wow! So got beat fair and square. But it, the fa- the weird thing is, it lasted as long as it did. I think there were about a dozen games where, if one question falls a different way, yeah, I yeah. go home. So it just it was just law of averages. Did you were there some where you didn't know the the final? Every time I need, usually I had the game locked up. You know, you try to have more than twice, you would know this, you yeah, have to yeah. have more than twice as much as your, as your nearest Wolf right. Litzer, so you don't uh, have to worry about final. And the few times that didn't happen, because somebody else got aggressive, found a daily double or whatever, I just happened to get final right. Right. But, uh, uh, you know, usually I didn't have to.
2: Out of that run, how many times do you think you got final wrong?
3: My numbers were not that great, actually. James's final... I've seen stats because people are like, let's see how he stacks up. Right, right. And it turns out we're pretty similar. He's a little better in most of the categories, but his final Jeopardy stats are like 90%. Wow. And mine were about like 60. And when I go back, I think final used to be harder, actually. Maybe I'm just... You know, I'm in the dead ball era or something, right, right. but it, it does seem you're, like
2: you're, I played his questions yeah. and I was like, oh,
3: I get 90 here too. Yeah, yeah. So
2: you're a you're a baby. That's your baby boomer talking. <laughs> That's right. It was harder in my day. We had to
3: walk uphill both ways to get a daily double.
2: <laughs> now, and this, and it, I mean, it's really it's kind of fascinating that you that this turned into a whole career for you of, you know, like you said, quiz culture. It's uh, 15
3: years later. Yeah. And I assumed this was a 15-minute thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you're I still, had friends
3: be like, you're going to go on Leno. You should save that story for Leno. And I'm like, I'm not going on Leno. Like, I had no idea that it yeah, would be yeah. a thing. Yeah, It's very naive.
2: And so, you you know, and now you've got – you know, you've kind of got your – you know, you've got – you're a little industry under yourself. You've got, you know, your various games that you do and books that you write and uh, columns, right?
3: Yeah, it turns out I'm kind of a workaholic, which I don't think I knew about myself. Really? Yeah. Like, I, uh, That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, like when my kids were little, you know, it would be much easier to just blow off work and hang out with the kids. But now yeah. that, now that my kids are 16 and 12 and I don't see them as much, it really is like, yeah, you know, you got, I do all this little kind of ticky tack writing stuff. Here's your column or your quiz you got to do. But, yeah. but I've got 12 books out. I'm already, I finished a book about comedy last year called Planet Funny, and I'm already late with a book about the afterlife. Um, I'm not one of these evangelical kids who saw the afterlife. It's more like here, here's different culture's version of that. Right, right. As if it was a travel guide kind of right. a thing. So I write books full-time, and sometimes I speak, and uh, I, got a, I have a podcast called Omnibus. I do twice a week with my musician friend uh, John Roderick who I think do you know John? I know John, do you know John? I do know
2: John yeah yeah everybody knows with him. the Long Winters is yeah. That yeah, yeah he was yeah, the yeah. front
3: man for the Long Winters we're friends and we do a a podcast twice a week where we it's just one of these kind of two white dads yakking kind of a shows, mm-hmm. but it's... Um, Fascinating. Cracking each other up. Yeah. People You mean love exactly like that. this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> hold on. Not unlike this. It's one of the kind of funny stories from history and culture kind of yeah, ones. Yeah. We, we do not have to do the logistics of an interview, thank God. But um, the, the the gimmick, such as it is, is that we uh, are afraid the world is about to end, and we are explaining these things to the future post-human earthlings. You nice. know like, like lobster people, you don't know about Milli Vanilli, but let us... Let us walk you through that. Yeah, yeah,
2: and you also have—I uh, understand—a uh, game show network.
3: Yeah, I, I get to do on. an occasional TV thing. Yeah, um, uh, I'm I'm one of the trivia experts on Best Ever Trivia Show on Game Show Network, where you know—is
2: that on now? Is that yeah? It's currently? on. It's
3: on weekdays on on uh, on GSN. It started in June. And if you, uh, you know, regular folks come on, but, you know, to get to the final round or whatever, they got to go head to head with a stable, a panel of trivia experts. Oh, I see. It's one of the shows I used to love when I was a kid, just kind of a goofy panel, yeah, joking around with Sherry Shepard, who is the host. And, uh, you know, Jeopardy is a real pressure cooker, and this is a lot more fun. That's great. It's a good time. Yeah. So, yeah, so 15 years later, I still kind of have a gig as a professional ex-Jeopardy contestant right. and I don't know how long that lasts but it's really the only thing I was ever good at was, yeah. was being that Guinness Book of World Records kid so it's it's nice that I found a niche and and are you confident about you know the
2: ongoing cuz you know the second question is like where are you going here um, I mean do you feel like you basically keep fooling people
0: <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that what everybody in <laughs> show business thinks yeah yeah
2: yeah exactly no I mean no every no Everybody in show business is terrified that it's going away at any moment. Yeah. I've seen so many interviews with people like Dustin Hoffman <laughs> saying, when I finish a job, I feel like, well, that's it. You know, it's, I think there's always, there's imposter syndrome is like a part of it. And also just like people tell me, cause I mean, I've had a, I'm, you, you know, for an agnostic, I still use the word blessed. I've been blessed with an amazing career and, and I'm,
3: and deservedly so. Andy. Oh, thank you so much.
2: Uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I, I, you know, from, and from coming from what this sort of, you know, like I'm not a tremendously driven person, and I, and i definitely enjoy collaborating like i don't have that kind of fire that kind of megalo world eating fire that a lot of people in this business Here's do Here's the next project yeah or like i've got to you know oh, i got have it all uh, you know right. i've got to have everyone know my name you know um but i i do feel like you know i've been very lucky to do this but and people all and people will tell me if i ever express kind of like well i don't you know you know, insecurity about, yeah. about my future employability or like, because you always feel like, oh, well, that's it. They, now they're tired of me. You know, it's not so much imposter syndrome because I do have a confidence in what I do, but it is like, it's, it's just shelf life syndrome. right? Yeah. Because this, it's so cruel. Yeah. It's so cruel. And so easy. And and so dumb. They're so dumb. And the attention span, I mean, like show business and the hiring process and the casting process is just so dumb. Like, it's just like, like I make a joke. I just recently lost a bunch of weight, and I've been saying like, "Well, now I, you know, now I can get more roles as the fat guy now that <laughs> I've lost forty pounds." And I, and I'm not kidding. That's funny. I'm not kidding. Um, but I will say, I'll, I'll express insecurity, and people will say, "Oh, you don't have to worry. You'll, you'll always work." And I think like. You can say that. I just, I cannot feel that way. I cannot like, I just, cause I feel like the minute that I think to myself, I'll always get work is when it'll stop. You know, like I feel like I need to be afraid a little bit in order to keep it going. And I don't, do you have that same kind of feeling, you know, with.
3: I, you know, I think for me, it's much more realistic. Why am I still a thing?
2: You know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: like everyone knows, you know.
2: Well, but you're very talented I, and you, you're you a great writer and you're a very funny person. So, you know.
3: I like what I do. And yeah. I feel like, you know, the Jeopardy nest egg is such that if it did all go away, if everybody was like, this James guy is our new Ken, we don't need you anymore. Yeah. You know? Uh, you know, my family would be fine and I would still find stuff to do that I liked to do on on a, you know, on a smaller scale and I think I would be okay with that because I I was a pretty happy, you know, we had just bought a little, my son was two, we had just bought a little starter home in the suburbs outside Salt Lake when I was on Jeopardy. Like, we were fine. Yeah. Um, And my main main goal was like, don't, don't screw this up. You know, like, you're fine, you know, you're, you're, Family seems okay, you know. Whatever you do, don't risk it on game show fame, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so far, that's worked out okay. Um, but what is the shelf life of having been on a game show for six yeah. months in two thousand four? I don't know. You,
2: I think you you, you found out <laughs> it's going, I mean, it's still. I mean, you're still you know, you're still a going concern.
3: I tried to to broaden it a bit so that, you know, the first book is about, you know, quiz Jeopardy type stuff. And the second book was about trivia. The third book was about maps, which is geeky, but you know, not quite the same kind of trivia geek. Yeah, yeah. And the fourth book was actually a parenting trivia book. So it's, a, you know, and the, the comedy thing is maybe a bridge too far. Like, why do I really want to hear what Ken Jennings thinks about comedy culture? But, you know, there is a sense of like, you know, like how far can I take this? You know, what, yeah. what am I interested in? And, yeah, yeah. and what's the next thing? And being a writer means you can spend a little time, you know, reading. You can spend a year reading about the thing that you're interested in and yeah. trying to figure out if there's a book.
2: Is there something, is there something that, you're not doing that you really hope that you will get to do someday?
3: Um, You know, I'd like to do more. I'd like to do more TV stuff. Yeah. And not because it's not soul killing, because it is. Yeah. But just because I feel like I could and maybe that's, you know, the next thing. It's that I, fun too. It, it does seem like it's, it's not. fun. It does seem like it's not the hardest job. No offense. No,
2: no, none. <laughs> absolutely none taken. No, listen, I, I, it's, you know, it's like the kind of thing where I do feel like, you know, I do cartoon voices. I do. I, I host game shows, you know, I am a celebrity on game shows and it just, it's the kind of thing where it just, it's the, just the, this wonderful absurdity that I get to do that. I mean, for being like talk show sidekick, uh, game show host, I feel like I should, at some point, I'm going to be a TV weatherman. Like just, <laughs> You're working just, up to it. Just to get all the weird little niche, you know, broadcasting jobs. That's the but, start
3: of a lot of resumes, but you want to like, you want to lead up to it.
2: Yes, exactly. Finally. <laughs> I I'm, did it. Yeah. I'm a Latter-day Sam champion. <laughs> um, but I, and and it's exciting. I just was, I did the pyramid, the Michael Strahan pyramid. I was watching the
3: Michael Strahan pyramid the other night. Like, uh, I, I really admired, as a kid, I admired the celebs who were good at that kind of yeah, stuff cuz yeah. you could tell who was good and who was dumb. Yes. And uh, I'm always like, "Oh, good. Rosie's good at this. Thank goodness, you know?" Like, <laughs> I bet you're great at pyramid.
2: I, I no, I I did I did very well and thank God I didn't screw up the final, you know, like the big money yes. pyramid with oh. she did the the woman and uh but it, it was shot in New York. I, I flew out to do it and you're in this studio that you know, like that they shot truth or consequences in <laughs> or what's my line right. and you there are all these you know pictures of like Kitty Carlisle and Joan Rivers uh, you know up old black and white photos in the hallway and I just you really feel like I'm like I'm a TV guy like I'm a, like a you know it's just it's this it's this it's totally exciting fulfillment of a real like childhood not necessarily that I was sitting there like someday I'm going to be on you know on match game, but that is what the culture <laughs> does to you. You know, you yeah, ra- yeah. like just
3: being raised American is like whoa, like be- being on TV is some kind of apotheosis. You yes, know? it's yes. almost a religious. thing. Yes.
2: and it's true too. They still uh, they still are at least nowadays. I think there was probably a time where they didn't, but uh, they still try and pour the booze down you. Is that uh, right? Oh, yeah. On pyramid? Uh, not on pyramid. I think they did have uh, drinks, but the one it was. Um, Match game. The Alec Baldwin match game. Oh, like that show's funnier if everybody's a little slosh. Holy moly. I Mine, you know, because they tape three in a day. Yeah. And I was on the first one. And uh, we got there, and it was like 9 o'clock in the morning. And the, the segment producer that, you know, gives us this sort of pep talk rundown-y kind of thing is like, and don't forget, there's the bar. The bar is open, and and everyone's like, it's nine o'clock, <laughs> and he's like, and they're and really, almost like peer, like don't forget the bar. There's a bar over there. Help yourself to the bar, by the way. And I'm like, all right, give me a bloody Mary, I guess. And uh, that's probably and the match game way,
3: dating back forty years. Absol- like, oh, I
2: I I talked to I once talked to a guy that was a, and now he's. Uh, I think he works for a network, but he was a production assistant. And, like, he used to have to go across, and it's still there at the corner of Alameda and Olive. There's a little liquor store. And he used to go there, and he used to buy two bottles of vodka for, uh, I think it was George Goebbels Mm -hmm. and and his, like, manager friend. Two, like, and I think they were handles of vodka. And they would go through the whole thing, you know, and they'd tape five of them a day. Yeah. Go through the whole thing. And then and this was on Match Game. And I've heard so many stories that just and when you watch Match Game, now you realize you Oh,
3: they're tell. all fucking drunk. Like Richard Dawson can barely they're sit up. All drunk. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: And that was just kind of like that was the culture. But they do it too. You know, the um Jane Lynch's TV game night, is that what it's called? Yeah. Uh same thing. Have a drink. Open bar. Here's a drink. Put a drink in front of it. You know, they just it just I think it just loosens people up. And I did get, to, and it gives you good, to, it gives, it makes it fun where like, because Judy Greer is a friend of mine and she was on all three of the shows on that day. And, you know, and we were kind of like, because we're friends, we were sort of like, you know, hanging out together. And uh, she, I think she, she got a Bloody Mary, I got a Bloody Mary. And then she met with, up with me and my wife later. We, uh, we went, we were at a meeting with a bunch of friends down on the Lower East Side and she came in and she was so fucking drunk, <laughs> so drunk. And she was just like, I've been drinking vodka all day just because they just kept feeding her and feeding her and feeding her.
3: I wonder if like lives were literally shortened by the match
1: game. <laughs> by you the know? match Like, game. like what did, uh, yeah, what did yeah. that do to, right. how to- How many
2: livers were ruined exactly with right. that skinny microphone. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that was really great was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on and- uh, and he he wanted a glass of wine, and the bartender said, "Well, what would you like?" He goes like, "Uh, he I, I goes like, uh, I'd like to try them." And he's like, "Well, which one?" And he's like, "All of them." <laughs> it was like ten. <laughs> he like stood there and like sampled ten, and it's like Neil, we got a show to tape. We, <laughs> but he he had to sample all ten. It was like the the exactly what you want out of your Neil deGrasse Tyson you exactly know? just persnickety like time wasting like oh boy you know
1: can you
2: tell my loves growing well we're getting near the end here and uh, the final question is uh is the what have you learned i mean do you you know what's what's the point of ken jennings life
3: that's a great question
2: well it's i a, mean it's kind of, to it's me. Kind of a, yeah. i know i
3: can't imagine an audience wanting to care, <laughs> wanting to hear but like it's certainly what i spend most of my days and especially nights yeah yeah tossing and turning thinking And I,
2: I always think of it i mean i think of it sort of like what is the meaning of your life and also yeah. kind of like what you know what? What's the main thing that you, you, you? It's an advice kind of thing. Like, what do you think? You know,
3: the you know the crossroads I'm at now, and maybe I think you'll identify with this, and maybe the the legion of uh, kind of mopey dads like us mm-hmm. the, that is listening uh, uh, is my kids need me less now. You know, yeah. my kids are 16 and 12.
2: Yeah. Mine 18 and 13.
3: So it's, maybe you're sympathizing with me in that, uh, like I kind of feel like I didn't mean to, but I kind of made being a dad, my full-time job. Yeah. Cause you kind of have to, yeah. like in my case, I felt like I was pretty good at it. Yeah. And you know, my kids still like me, uh, don't get me wrong, but like, I am not a full-time dad anymore. Mm-hmm. They do not need a, you know, ringmaster cajoler referee kind of guy.
2: And that's healthy it is and necessary and they have to like
3: they have to leave you behind it's it's what it's exactly what has to happen and it seems to be very a, a very gentle healthy process in this case maybe mm-hmm. it's, but compared to my adolescence and maybe his dad before him i don't know but um my dad before me and then his dad before him but uh you know it's hard on me because you know what am i now if not if not a dad yeah and that's kind of an identity thing. And, I've, and, and so, really, what's next f- for me? What have I learned? I mean, I've learned that that is the most important thing. I, I, I did not, I feel like I didn't misspend those years, you know? I feel like I helped turn out two pretty cool people. Yeah. And that's more important than anything else I could have done. And I'm glad I had the privilege of having that time, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't. I've learned, like, on a career angle or I guess like a, what do you do with your life angle? I've learned that I, I think I sold out too young when I said, you know what? Uh, I like to write and I'm good at it, but my friend has an internet startup and he will pay me money. Like maybe 24 years old is not the time to shut down all your hopes and dreams yeah. and, and go to work for your friend's soulless internet startup. You know, like I knew that wasn't my thing. Like I knew trivia was my thing. Like why wasn't I trying to find... Something that like actually respected a talent that I had, yeah. you know, and like such
2: I, as I mean, what w- at that time, what, what will,
3: that's tricky. Like it really, yeah. I, I had to. Like so
2: rather I, than go rather than go into this uh, work on your friend's startup, what did you think? This is what I want to do.
3: Like I maybe you know write something that something where I could write or teach or, uh, you know, like why was I not treating. A talent I had as something sacred. Why was I just saying what will pay the bills? Yeah, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe a generation is coming up that is <laughs> never going to be able to think about the first thing because yeah, of what yeah. we did to the economy. I don't right, know. Right. But uh, you know, but while you're young, I mean, I think that is the time to think like what what is it that makes me me? What are the things that I can do that some people can't do? And like, how do you build a life around that? And the fact that I kind of had to create my niche, I think that is something that is going to resonate in this economy. Going forward. You yeah. know, like what what is it about you that makes you indispensable? Can you can answer trivia questions? That's not a job, but like, is it adjacent to one? Could mm-hmm. you, could you make it into one? Figure out something. Yeah, it. like yeah. you know, now that gatekeepers are less important, can you could you get out there and 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 be that guy and see if the world beats its path to your door? Yeah. It doesn't always happen, but but sometimes it does. And your twenties is definitely the time to to take a shot Absolutely. at that. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, no, I always uh, you know You got 30 years to screw up. Really, (laughs) I really do feel like you should, like to put pressure on yourself. I mean, yeah, you got to make a living. You know, you don't want to live in your parents' basement and stuff like that. But I've always felt like you got plenty of time, you know. My
3: son's 16 and he's feeling it now and he's petrified. You try to talk to him about college and majors and, you know, where, you know, and and – he's not he's 16 he's not equipped to like yeah and i really do tell him you don't have to figure this out nobody knows nobody like weirdos know i think you know like the but uh you know you are not some driven reese witherspoon in a movie kind of here's what my life's going to be character you know you can you've got decades to figure it out
2: well and i you know my, my son he just graduated from high school and he had a real rough time this year kind of just senioritis, and had a hard time just getting all of the work done that he needed to get done, and and at one point I told him, and I kind of was, it kind of was uh, a disingenuous thing, but I told him, I said, if this is too rough, I said, take some time off, stop, you know, if you, you know, I don't, I said, if you stop now and you take a year off and you go get a job, I said, I'm fine with that, and I said, and if you, you know, if you're you're worried about going to college and you don't want to go to you know like don't go to college and he told me later he said like it broke my heart when you told me that (laughs) and I was and I kind of told him like yeah that was the point Mm -hmm. I wanted you to say I, I said because while I was being completely honest like I wouldn't if you said you just like if you said I'm gonna go get a retail job and figure myself out I wouldn't that's fine with me I don't you know and Your love's
3: not conditional on
2: No, no, and I don't. Yeah, and I don't, and I also don't worry. I don't. He's gonna be fine, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and also, I think too, my worry. You know, it's like my wife. You know, has a fear of flying, and I and she gets she'd get mad at me for not having a fear of flying, and I'd say, yeah, but my worry isn't going to keep the plane in the air, <laughs> and it's the same thing with with children. Your worry isn't going to. Ensure their success. I mean, and especially when they get to a certain age, it's their life. He's eighteen; it's his life, you know. But uh, you know, I I I truly did mean that. You know, I don't care if you just go get a job, but I also was kind of saying, like, because because one of the I kept saying, I said, look, if doing your homework is too much of a problem. (laughs)
3: Is that a hassle
2: for you? I was being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) And I, because I kept saying like, but if this homework is too much, you know, and then, you know, and I I told him, I said, no, I just was like trying to tell you like, kid, it's homework. Just chill out and do it. Hopefully this will
3: not be the hardest thing you ever have to do.
2: But I very much relate to what you're saying. Because I, uh, yeah, being a, being a husband and a father is sort of been my, you know, I, I truly do mean this. I'm on television, and I like. I say I've been lucky to have this career, but it uh, that none of that matters that much compared to. It really doesn't. It's just. It's. I mean, it's. It's a great gig. It's easy, fun. Um. It's ridiculous that I get to have as much fun and make as much money doing the things that I love to do. Um. But the real. But my real identity and my real like where I truly am is is in being a a dad and, and a husband. And I'm actually going through a divorce right now. So that's, I'm at a huge crossroads where I, I mean, I'm where you're at, but like just amped up even more because my kids are not needing me. And I and now I'm all of a sudden, I'm alone for the, you know, and learning to be alone for me is like, I've never been good at that's,
3: that. That's, <laughs> I am 100% the same way. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. So... Yeah, the, the I mean that's that's the great thing about marriage is you don't have to face that.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, well. Anyway, that's another podcast. That's uh that's my new podcast called Drear, uh, <laughs> called It's a Bummer with Andy Richter.
3: But the thing about the thing that makes you special is uh like it doesn't have to be a job either, you know. Yeah. Like like in this new economy, maybe the thing the thing you love to do or the thing that you think makes you a little snow special, a little snowflake, it might not be a full time gig. Yeah. It. Uh, f- you know, it might just be the thing that gives your life meaning. You know, you, you sing with friends or you sing karaoke yeah. or you sing at church or, you know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it, it doesn't matter if you're on American Idol or yeah. not. You know, like it'll still give your life meaning. Don't, you know, don't leave that aside. I yeah. Guess.
2: Make things. Be creative. Absolutely. Do yeah. art. Well, Ken, this has been a, a, a wonderful hour and plus. Uh, and, and thank you so much for coming out. And uh and I'm glad to know you. I had such a
3: good time, Andy. Thank what you. a delight. All right.
2: Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, we will check in with you again soon uh, with the three questions. Bye-bye. Got
0: a big, big love.